Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone and welcome back to another episode of the IFG News Roundup back for 2022. With me today are my two wonderful guests. We've got Ibrahim Khan, the co-founder of IFG, and we've got a new face for today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. So, salam everyone. I am Annika Shah and I'm Head of Partnerships at IFG. Great. Well, great to have you on the show. And not to mention, you're our first female guest on the show, so this is even better. Representation, everyone. That's what we at IFG are all about. Now, we've got some great news stories for you today, as well as a lot of future gazing, which will be really interesting getting our collective thoughts on a number of things. Now, Ibrahim, why don't you hit us with our first crystal ball exercise? Yeah, of course. So, uh, I think 2022 is likely, I mean, people have been saying this for a long time, but I think we're going to have a market correction at some point or another. It could be next year, it could be this year, who knows, but it certainly will happen in the next few years. And I think with that in mind, it's important to make sure your portfolios and all weather portfolios, you're kind of ready for some shocks. So don't be the kind of guy who has, you know, just said, all right, you know what, I'm gonna put everything in crypto. And you kind of trust yourself to the whims and desires of the market. So I wouldn't do that. I think the other interesting trend that's happening right now is climate change. I think we're about 20, 30 years early. We're 20, 30 years early from what could be a massive disaster. And so, you know, you're looking at 20, 30 years of capital going into this area and a good way of thinking about where the world is moving is follow the money and if you're seeing that a lot of capital is going in this direction or will be going in this direction that could be an interesting way for you to just align yourself in that direction as well so yeah those are like two thoughts i had about the future Ibrahim, what do you mean by aligning yourself like to climate change like so what I mean by that, great question. I don't mean, you know, cause more climate change. Uh, I mean things like, from an investment perspective, who are the companies who are exposing mm. themselves to climate change? So let's take the, you know, the yeah. different asset classes. So stocks and shares, look for stocks that are particularly exposed to climate, um, climate change and doing good things in it, not the bad, bad stuff. Look at funds that are climate focused. So I know there are no halal funds that are climate focused, but we've got the IFG what was previously the fund replicator, now the stockmate, which has a flavor that is clean energy. So that could give you a halal way of creating a fund. But then in uh, fixed income, you've got things like green energy bonds and renewable energy, you know, instruments and things like that, municipal bonds. Of course, all of these are not permissible, but if they were, and if there were instruments that were to come out in the next few years that are sure compliant and focused on giving you a fixed return and linked to some kind of green energy, yeah. that's really interesting. And then finally, startups, if you have climate related startups. So we've got one called Oxwash, which uses ozone technology to clean clothes at a much reduced level of you know, carbon emission than a normal wash would. So, yeah, those would probably be the ways. Yeah, that makes sense. Very interesting. Do you have any thoughts on what the future holds, Annika? With regards to what the future holds, I'm at the point where I'm just realigning my investments with my risk appetite. So what I mean by that is, as Ibrahim has mentioned, an all-weather portfolio, making sure that you have a diverse portfolio, not overexposed in one, for one particular asset class. And, you know, to share personally, 
right now I have a low risk appetite for my husband and I we're looking to save for a house in the next kind of one to three years we'll be looking to get a house deposit together so right now we're realigning our portfolio or our investments to be able to hit that target are you looking to buy a forever home or what are you thinking I mean the dream is always a forever home but whether that's feasible let's see inshallah inshallah with London prices you'll be lucky to get a car park <laughs> place <laughs> yeah that's true. speaking from experience I think I have an interesting trend and I think it's the metaverse so I think that we're going to see a big boom in startups relating to the metaverse crypto coins that are related to the metaverse will do particularly well and I also think that stocks and companies and organizations that are already established in this space such as meta which is Facebook's new name yeah. I think that we're going to see their stock go up because despite me not liking the concept of a metaverse because I feel like it's an extreme form of escapism despite me not liking that I still do see the hype just growing and we're going to see market sentiment really head towards the space so those are my initial thoughts on trends for 2022 anything else or any other thoughts from anyone we had this crazy idea of buying loads of space in metaverses and just establishing masajid everywhere <laughs> and buying like places next to Snoop Dogg's place. Before everyone starts complaining, we just get it all down. It's crazy though. If you think about it, like Snoop Dogg bought some land on Sandbox, which is like this platform where you like, it's basically land in the metaverse. And the prices of like pieces of land just around his house are like ridiculously high. So you could see that people have just started purchasing all the land around his house because they expect the value to rise. Like it's genuinely like mind boggling that it's this digital property is being treated as if it was real property. I find that very fascinating, but at the same time, kind of scary that people are taking it that seriously. Yeah, I'm, I didn't realize that you could buy land in the metaverse. I mean, I'm, I just kind of keep hearing about metaverse coming up, but that... That's ridiculous. Like a lot of companies are investing in, and I've seen like a lot of financial institutions and some big wigs really investing in like lands in the metaverse. And then, you know, they said there's like, you know, people can establish advertising space on there or <laughs> real estate. And I'm like, hang on a second, but that's stuff you do in the real world. <laughs> you don't do that in the digital world. But who knows? If anyone's seen the movie Ready Player One, you already know where this is kind of heading, which is scary if Facebook's at the lead of it because... If anyone doesn't know the movie Ready Player One, again, it's a massive corporation that makes money off people's data that tries to take control of the whole metaverse. And they're the main bad guys in Ready Player One as well. So, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, where's this going? I don't know. I mean, this might be simplifying metaverse a bit too much, but do you feel like, you know, he's talking about metaverse being another form of reality. But you feel like we're already doing that. So going back to like 10, 20 years ago, when we were young, you know, you guys are probably familiar with The Sims, where yeah. you, you're in another world, you're pretending to be another person, but it's just a, uh, a blown up version of that really, isn't it? Except for buying and purchasing, you know, advertising yeah. space. But I think like, is it not all, the same thing, really? All forms of entertainment to an extent are like a form of escapism, but like they're not as immersive. Like okay, you don't yeah. think that you're going to start dating or like doing all this stuff in, like, <laughs> in the metaverse, right? Really? Can you do that? I don't know. But like that's what people are going to do, like long distance relationships and there'll be oh, haptic feedback suits so that like stuff you touch will actually like 
you'll get like senses you'll get, that you'll you'll actually feel stuff when you touch stuff in the metaverse. Well, That's mind boggling. It is really it is crazy. But then you talk about that it's true because when I went to I recently went to DNA VR which is a virtual reality gaming station and I was playing a flying game and my heart was literally beating as if I had just jumped out an airplane. It really felt so real and the experience of the emotions it is a different different level or different league. So it is, it is quite surreal scary but i definitely think the metaverse is a trend that people should keep an eye out especially when it comes to investments because there's just so much happening in this space moving on very quickly annika what story do you have for us today so today well it didn't really happen today it happened last week apple went ahead and had its market cap reached over three trillion dollars which is immense it's the first company to do so and to think they were the first company to reach one trillion about three years ago, and then they reached two million about 16, 18 months ago. And so, in such a short space of time, now being able to reach three trillion, can't even say three trillion, it's uh, impressive. It's very impressive. What do you think about that, Ibrahim? I think it's quite worrying in some ways. Really? Because this money, I don't think Apple has created a third or double the value over the last year or two. And so what's happened here is that money that has been looking for a home, which didn't exist before, but now does, has found itself, you know, a home in those blue chip or safe harbor companies such as Apple. And so, you know, people like Facebook and others of that ilk, Google and others have also seen a massive rise. And where's this money come from? It's come from a response to COVID by lots of governments where they've been printing money. And the reason why I am concerned about this, you know, what it does is it uh, masks the pain to use like a paracetamol example that, you know, when you have pain, you take paracetamol, it all kind of goes away. But that can sometimes lead to dangerous behavior because you no longer feel pain. And, you know, people who don't feel pain, to take an extreme example, if they stick it, your hand in a fire, it's perfectly fine for them. And so, you know, when you have that dull effect of just being hit by trillions of dollars of, you know, stimulus, then it means that the way that markets work, which is based on information and which is based on, you know, is there a demand for this thing? Is there a supply for this thing? That breaks down, that dialectic or that kind of back and forth breaks down. And when that bre- that breaks down, then it's very hard to make long term, it becomes very hard to make, you know, really rational decisions. People who were good at investing in the last decade or the, you know, the early noughties, they weren't good at investing in the last decade because everything was going up and it was like the guy who was on the Reddit at Wall Street Bets was doing better than an actual investor. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it just seems worrying. Yeah, I get that. Thoughts, Annika? I'm just trying to better understand your point, Ibrahim. So you're saying that because they're so big, even though they haven't really been, the size of their you know, market cap is outperforms what they've actually produced right or what the value that they've actually added i guess to kind of add to the story a little bit this came you know from an an dan evers an analyst who kind of said you know apple are going to be coming out with an ar headset so perhaps it's not that value they've added in the past year and a half but the value that they're going to add so that might be just you know another perspective but i do agree i think when a company is so big the power, the impact they have without the, you know, it's just 
basic economics right with competition if you're so big and you're able to just dominate and have so much money very you know power and that can be a worry if you don't trust the people in power go on i was gonna say that i do very much align with those sentiments because i don't feel very comfortable with the idea of these tech giants that have performed so immensely well but they're now on a scale where their market cap is huge and they're making more money than some countries do and the amount of influence this has they have on the real world is sometimes very worrying because we we already know from so many news stories that these big companies do lobby politicians and do interfere in current affairs to turn issues for their favor and that's worrying and you can also see this with this trend of more and more of these big tech giants, they're trying to dip their hands in everything. Like Apple used to be exclusively like, you know, they used to have their Mac, their Macintosh, then they got into phones. Okay, fine, they, they make tech. But now we're seeing that range of products that they're producing widen quite drastically where now Apple is producing TV shows. They've got their Apple TV platform. They've got Apple Music. They've also got allegedly an Apple car on the way or some thoughts to that effect. So which I think is like, you know, if Apple becomes that strong, they pretty much have the power to influence government, governance in the world, whatever direction they want. And that's quite worrying. I don't know. I, I, my counterpoint to that is, so my point was less about my worry about Apple being strong and more about my worry about the distortion effect of stimulus, economic stimulus in the market. When it comes to Apple and you know some of the larger companies becoming big, I don't know. I feel like, you know, the world and the global economy has its way of figuring things out. So you have these giants that came up before and they become larger and larger. And then because they're getting so much surplus out of the profits that they're making, they need to find another home for it. So they start spinning up other businesses and they still have trillions left in the bank. So they, you know, they start doing even more. And when you do so much, you perhaps lose your focus and do things as well. And there's a time and a place. And the way that innovation works is that whatever you're good at you continue doing that because that's the thing that you're really good at whereas the thing that's going to disrupt you it looks really silly and stupid at the start so it doesn't make sense for you to pivot from what you're good at to doing something silly and so the people who are doing the silly things a whole bunch of them will die but then one or two will succeed and then they will become massive and they will topple someone like an apple and you see this right so you see these kind of large conglomerates forming over the last decade so you've had people like gm motors and daimler and ford and shell and bp and jp morgan all of these are huge empires now and there i would argue that they're at a stasis slash decaying point and over time what will happen is they'll start getting picked off little units will get spun off and they all kind of you know fracture out and then the whole destructive and then constructive cycle starts again at a certain level and a short-term perspective sure it's worrying when a large company has a lot of power i feel like it's going to get worked out i agree with you then there's an aspect that i'm like hmm it's slightly different so for example the, the examples you gave gm jp etc I feel like they're companies of the past. The way that they were built, the foundations, they're not fintech or they're not tech. And the examples of like Google or Apple or Netflix, tech is at the center of that. And so that is the future. Whereas they're not, I don't think, I don't see those tech giants breaking apart. 
and I think you raise a good point about doing what you're good at but when you have so much money you will always be good at that like I haven't seen a product by Apple that hasn't succeeded or similarly something that Google have created that hasn't been fantastic oh there's been a few there's a few which ones Google Glass yeah that's what I was thinking is maybe I haven't heard of those ones <laughs> there's loads about there's like a Google are famously bad at doing anything other than search <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they failed along with Microsoft as well, right? They built many products as well. Amazon as well. Amazon had some absolute car crashes. I mean, I hear the point that you're making that these companies are different. This is about this is about tech and their dominance is much larger than that we've previously seen. But then to that, I would raise you Web 3.0 and NFTs and things like that, yeah. or, or the metaverse, because you know, sandbox. Where's that come from? Is that the next Google? Who knows? Because if it is, then Google or Amazon or Apple don't own Sandbox. It's just, it's just like some next person. In the future, it won't be about these big giants. It'll be about the people. Okay, great. So NFTs. A 14-year-old girl has made $1 million selling 8,000 NFTs that she minted. Now, that's amazing. And I know NFTs are like the big buzzword of the past few months because very few people know what they are. And a lot of people are becoming millionaires from these NFTs. And now everyone wants to know, are these NFTs the next Bitcoin or the next millionaire or billionaire makers? What do you think, Ibrahim? Yeah. yeah. Why not? Fair, fair point. There's a lot of money sloshing around. And if you want to buy a digital monkey, then, you know, be my guest. But I really don't get it. Okay. So like, just for the sake of context, an NFT is stands for a non-fungible token, which essentially is something that's created in the digital world, but is a unique asset in the sense that same as cryptocurrency, it is locked and registered to your name. So when you own this, it's kind of like owning a piece of art that no one else can own. Sure, they can take pictures of this art, the same as us having JPEGs of the Mona Lisa, but it's not like owning the real thing. So that's essentially what an NFT is. And a great way that Gary Vee explains it is that if you've bought a skin on Fortnite, a Fortnite is a video game, if you've bought a skin or like a weapon upgrade or anything like that, then that's essentially an NFT. It's locked to your account and only you can use it and you've got the real thing. People can like copy it, but it's not necessarily the new thing. But people have been minting like these funny images of monkeys and this 14-year-old girl made uh, 8,000 images of beluga whales and donated 20% of the profits to charity, which is great. But, you know, she made a million dollars out of it and she's 14 years old. And here I am at 26 thinking to myself, like, how am I going to make a million dollars? You should go do killer whales or something. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to go for spiders, you know. <laughs> what, what do you think about NFTs, Annika? And before you answer, Annika, so the u viewers should know that Annika is actually secretly a software engineer. I don't know if it's secret. She, you are a software <laughs> engineer as well. You actually know what we're talking about here, to some extent, more than we do. Probably, yeah. To some extent. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've actually been saying to Ibrahim that IFG should be doing their own NFTs and it's actually going to be at a future session we're going to talk about it but that aside with regards to NFTs I didn't really fully get it until I came across this one explanation by um, Kazomo the, I'm going to butch his name but essentially the way that he described NFTs was 
if we go back and we look at the way the internet killed the yellow pages, a bit like how Netflix killed Blockbuster, NFTs are clearly are going to kill the way that traditional art is viewed, owned, and distributed. And so what I mean by that is, and this comes back to our biggest institutions point, you know how you have these big institutions that own, how um, that have a lot of power. If we look at back in the day, when it comes to who's going to be a star, big studios used to decide who are going to be the actors and you know stars. But however, with social media, YouTube, Instagram, you have influencers and now most people, most kids want to become social stars. So it switched from the power being from the studios to the everyday person. Similarly, when it comes to art, previously it used to be the kings, the queens, the noble folk that owned great art. Then it moved to institutions like galleries, museums that decide who are the big artists. And even if you wanted to purchase art, it would be like the best ones already snapped up, they're less desired, you can't get your hands on it unless you pay a ridiculous amount of money. Now with NFTs, the power's in the hands of the everyday person. If you want to be an artist, like this 14-year-old girl who like drawing whales, is able to do so. Who decides if they're successful or not is the everyday person. You don't need a museum, you don't need an institution, you don't need a gallery to be able to showcase your art as well as purchase it and so you vote you have the power to vote who's a good artist who you want to be able to invest in you know what galleries exist and the collectors essentially decide so I thought that was an interesting take on NFTs and it put things into perspective that whether you understand art or not and you're not if you're interested in it and if, you, if you're not with NFTs it's just changed the game and whether you're part of it or not it is going to be the future. I like the way you've explained that but you know what? What shocks me is that, you know, when it comes to like traditional art, when you own it, it's usually one because it took a lot of skill to particularly produce like the Mona Lisa or like, or sometimes you'll own a piece of art solely because of who owned it or who made it. So like, you know that if you own the Mona Lisa, this is a piece of art by a very famous person by the name of Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Da Vinci. I was about to say that, but then I was like, no, it's Da Vinci. <laughs> I know it was DiCaprio. I'm sure it was. <laughs> Yeah, let's go with that. But I'm like, I look at some of these NFTs and I don't see like, uh, it's not something wondrous that you're looking at. It's like a monkey in like a punk rock outfit or like with funny teeth or something. And I'm just like, do I really want to be showcasing that? Is that really like art or is that like a doodle that someone makes when they're like just trying to muck about in IT class? Like, But I guess that's all subjective because, you know, art is like in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, I think it's all very interesting. So I've got two points to make. One is, it's not as easy to just make random digital art and put it on the internet and sell it. Because even you know if you do it on Bitcoin or Ethereum, those networks, just the gas fees alone mean that it kind of is an outlay of about 20 to 50,000 pounds to have enough stuff created for you to then sell it and then hopefully make some money. So it's not you know that easy. The second thing to say is that I agree with you. I think a lot of this stuff in early doors is quite frivolous, but it's that much in price because it's so early and people are really keen to get involved in it. And I think this obviously market will mature over time. The really interesting thing I think is less about, you know, NFTs just qua artwork. Like NFT is not just art. A non-fungible token could be anything. anything, right? It could be just like it's like a a register that says I own this X thing, which could be digital or it could potentially be linked to the real world as well. And I think that innovation, and I don't know, 
how it's going to play out, but I think that innovation has a lot of potential to unlock lots of interesting things. And it means that because you can build smart contracts, which then directly link in with that piece of code, which represents ownership now. Whereas before ownership used to be this either ephemeral kind of thing that kind of existed, or it's like a certificate somewhere, or it's a key, it's represented by something physical, and it you can't plug in and automate that via a smart contract or an API or something, but you can do now with an NFT. And that then changes things because it means that brokers or intermediaries or people who normally would sit as an interface between buyers and sellers, they then get disintermediated, they get taken out. And when that happens, then it just unlocks a lot of potential. And it's fundamentally, I think, good for the buyers and sellers because the intermediary always takes a cut. Mm. So you actually, it's better for consumers if we're heading in this direction. I'm really excited about NFTs. I need to buy one. Uh, mm-hmm. So point me to that beluga whale. Mm. But I'm more excited about where this is going. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, Anikon? Yeah, I think with NFTs, where, where they, the one idea or, where they, or one aspect of it where it may be going is back to the metaverse. So I know a lot of the... Um, NFT collections relate to characters that you can buy and own that will then you'll later be able to use in the metaverse. So that's the character that you own and that's where there's value in that particular, you know, you mentioned drawings or funny looking pics, but yeah, being able to use that and do something with it in the metaverse is something that's something to look out for. It's actually very interesting. In that movie, again, I'm going to point to Ready Player One and this is not an ad or anything for that movie. I'm just you mention it every other podcast. Yeah, I, I do, but because it's like so relevant, if people just watch that movie, they'll understand the metaverse. Is it on Netflix? I think it's on BBC iPlayer. Okay. Is it? Oh yeah, I think I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but basically in that, you had like these big companies like Sega and they had like their characters in the metaverse. So they had, you could unlock this upgrade that let you be like Mecha Godzilla. And one guy was like um, Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And another guy was like dressed as Batman and stuff. So that's like probably where organizations are going to go. They're going to like, you know, they've got rights to these characters and they're probably going to lease them out and people can be those characters in the metaverse. So who knows? Well, that's all we got for today. Jazakallah khairan to my wonderful colleagues for joining us today and to you guys for watching this episode and join us again in one fortnight for another one. Inshallah, until then, take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.